From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to Thyroid, Your Questions Answered. I'm so excited to be back with you. And we're going to segue now into some more conversation on thyroid labs. That's going to transition us into a really big set of questions that I get a lot are thyroid antibodies. Then we're going to cover thyroid medications and integrative thyroid approaches. So last time when we ended off, we were talking about why your doctor might tell you your thyroid labs were normal, but you might still be having symptoms. And I explained that that has to do with the discrepancy or competing voices on how to interpret thyroid labs. And look, when it comes to thyroid labs, here's something really important to say. We talked about advocacy and how important it is to advocate for yourself. We've talked about how important thyroid function is to your overall lifelong well-being and your immediate health and well-being now. So if you are in a situation where your medical provider just will not order thyroid labs for you and you're checking off the boxes on at least a few thyroid symptoms, hard to say this, but sometimes we do have to break up with our doctors. And again, I'm not going to get into all of that right now because I do talk about that in the other episodes I've mentioned and also in my books. But it is really important for us to be empowered enough to know when it's important to walk away. A couple of more quick questions that I get really commonly that show up in my medical practice a lot and that also were sent in to me is, do I need to fast and skip my thyroid medication before getting tested? I've been told yes and no. What is the correct practice, Dr. Rom? Bottom line. You do not need to fast for thyroid labs. These are not fasting labs. Eating or fasting doesn't make a difference. But whether to hold off on your thyroid medication does depend on several things. And sometimes it is really important to get accurate thyroid labs to hold off on your medication. So it depends on whether you're taking T4 only and whether you're only having TSH being checked or if you're having TSH and free T4 being checked. If you're only taking T4, and you're only getting your TSH checked, then you actually don't have to hold off on your thyroid medication. You can take your dose just as recommended, and it's actually totally okay to take your thyroid medication in the morning, or you can take your thyroid medication at night. If you are taking T4 only, and I'm going to talk more about what these medications are in just a little bit, but if you're taking T4 only and you're getting free T4 checked or T4 checked, then you do want to hold off on your medication. So T4 only is not going to affect your TSH levels, but it will affect your T4 levels. It's going to make it look like your T4 levels are higher because you've just taken T4. And if your doctor sees that your T4 is higher, they're going to say, oh, you have enough. And they might recommend you lower your dose. 
then you lower your dose and you feel like crap again or you start having symptoms again because it was falsely lowered. If you take T4 and T3 or you take T3 only, then you do have to skip your thyroid medication either the night before if you take it at night or the morning of your dose. Because if you're on only T3 or T4, T3, that will affect your TSH results. And that can also lead your provider to lower your medication dose when the normal labs are based on the fact that you're taking the medication. If you had gone off the medication, then the labs might have dropped. So a lot of you I know who are on thyroid medication are hesitant to skip a dose because you may notice that you experience symptoms more quickly, especially if you're on T3. So if you're on a T4, T3 combo, or you're just on T3, and you're having your TSH and T4 tested, or just either one of those, bring your meds with you to the lab, get your labs checked first thing in the morning, and then just take them right after you've done your test. If you usually take it the night before, then you might skip that night before dose because it may affect your morning labs and just take it that night. Or you can take it that morning and talk with your care provider. If you take it first thing in the morning, can you get back on your regular dose that night? And that's going to depend on how much medication you're taking. Another question that I get quite often is, does the timing of tests matter in the menstrual cycle? And simple answer, it does not. One area that I get so many questions about is thyroid antibodies. So in part one of your thyroid questions answered, I talked about what thyroid antibodies are. Just a quick refresher. These are components from your immune system that for a variety of reasons, ranging from viral infections to leaky gut, may activate your immune system to also attack your thyroid or in trying to kill viral infections that have gotten into thyroid cells may inadvertently damage the thyroid. And this can be due to a whole host of factors that I talk about in part one. What I want to talk about today is what does it mean if you get labs back and you find out that they're elevated? I'm going to just in a nutshell talk about antithyroglobulin antibodies because those are not the ones I'm going to focus on. If antithyroglobulin labs are elevated, that could mean just like with TPO antibodies that I'm going to talk about, you've just got some inflammation and some antibody activity going on, very low levels could mean nothing. But if those levels are very high, high above the normal range, it is actually critically important to make sure that you get follow-up testing, which may include a thyroid ultrasound and a biopsy, because in rare cases, those thyroid antiglobulins can be indicative of thyroid cancer. That is, I know, a scary thought. Keep in mind, that's very rare, and it's only with the less commonly elevated antithyroglobulin antibodies. And even if they are elevated, as just happened with one of my patients not too long ago, I sent her in for the ultrasound. It did show a thyroid nodule. She did have the thyroid nodule biopsied, and it was totally fine. She just had a little bit of thyroid nodule, but there were some antibodies coming from that. What you're more commonly going to see on labs are those TPO antibodies elevated. Now, a normal range when you get labs back is going to be not detectable. You're not even going to see any number there. It's just going to say not detectable or less than point something, which is, indicates that it's not detectable. 
Or you may see them all the way up into the multiple thousands. The highest I've ever seen them was 8,500, 8,500, which is really, really high antibody activity. There isn't necessarily a correlation directly between how high the antibodies are and how much thyroid damage there is. But in general, if those antibodies are appearing on your labs and they're just a tiny bit elevated, low double digits, let's say 50 or below, in my medical practice, I just keep an eye on that because many of us are going to have transiently elevated antibodies to one thing or another at any given time. And it doesn't mean that you'll have them on a subsequent lab test or as I mentioned previously, it doesn't mean that you're going to have them mean anything. That doesn't mean they're going to turn into a thyroid problem. However, it is worth it in my opinion. And what I do in my medical practice is really if they're anything above 20 or so, definitely when we're getting to 40, 50, I repeat those antibody tests in about three months and just make sure they're not creeping up. If they're staying steady, I might check in three months or six months again, just to make sure they're staying steady. And then annually or every couple of years when I'm redoing a set of basic labs on a patient, then I'll check them again just to keep an eye on them. Of course, these are being done in conjunction with other labs. So I should preface this by saying, in this case, it's when the TSH is normal and everything else is normal. If the TSH is not normal, if it's high and you have hypothyroid or very low and you have hyperthyroid, then the elevated antibodies are an indication. You can then diagnose that it is autoimmune. So elevated TSH plus any elevated antibodies can be diagnosed as Hashimoto's. Very low TSH, so your hyperthyroid with antibodies, that is diagnosable as Graves' disease. So let's say everything else is normal, but you have just a tiny bit of elevated antibodies. It's just a watch and see. If they're more moderate, let's say 50 or above, and all the other labs are normal, then again, I simply keep an eye But I also will start to look through all of the other factors. Is this person intolerant of gluten? Is there chronic inflammation going on? Is there leaky gut? Has there been a recent viral infection? Something in the last six months that there might be some antibodies circulating. And in that case, I may do nothing. And again, repeat in three months, six months, 12 months and see how they're doing. Or if they're at any point creeping up or my patient wants to do something a little bit more, then I will work with an integrative approach to supporting immunity just very, very gently. But again, you don't have to make anything of it. Just keep an eye on it. It doesn't mean somebody is heading toward a thyroid disorder. If they are much more significantly elevated, we're talking 100 or over or in the hundreds or thousands, then I will do a much more root cause deep dive into what the underlying factors are. I will then definitely start the supportive supplements that can help reduce antibodies and I will keep a much closer eye. I will also more assertively check and recheck the other thyroid labs, particularly TSH, free T3 and free T4 because that's where when we start to see those higher antibodies, we also will start to see it sometimes show up as most typically Hashimoto's. I may also run a panel for Epstein-Barr virus, because in the case of new onset of mono, or the case of a recurrence of Epstein-Barr virus, that may affect thyroid function. So I'll check for that too. If somebody has elevated TSH, 
and they have antibodies, then I will diagnose them with Hashimoto's and then go down the road of us deciding together whether my patient wants to or needs to or is ready to start medication at that point and how critical it is. If someone is trying to conceive, if someone is pregnant, or if someone is postpartum, and again, they have a wee tiny bit of elevated antibodies, like 20 to 50, I will keep an eye on and I will usually at that time be a little more assertive about starting the supplements, which are safe while trying to conceive pregnant and postpartum, to reduce those antibodies and keep a closer eye on that TSH to make sure it's really within that 0.8 to 2.5 range that's optimal for fertility, conception, pregnancy, and postpartum health. So this is where the questions really start to pour in about thyroid antibodies. So one question that came in, and it is sort of reflective of many questions that came in, Dr. Ram, can TPO antibodies drop? My doctor said no, but mine did after I tried six months of a gluten-free diet and taking selenium. So now we have a spoiler alert on a couple of the things that I often recommend. And the answer is yes. Thyroid antibodies can absolutely drop. And even if you look in the conservative conventional literature, you look on a database like UpToDate, which physicians use all the time for keeping up to date on medical data, it's very clear that antibodies can drop. And I've seen in my practice over and over and over again, antibodies going from the high many thousands down to the double digits. In my experience, most people who have elevated antibodies don't typically go down to nothing unless the antibodies were like a one-time, one-off, transient elevation, in which case then sometimes you may see the antibodies go back to zeroed out. But most people, when they've had antibodies in the thousands, their antibodies can come down to the high double digits. When people have had antibodies in the hundreds, their antibodies can come down to the low double digits. But yes, they can absolutely, and we'll talk more about gluten-free diet, and we'll talk more about selenium. If your doctor says antibodies cannot be dropped, you can mention to your doctor or your medical provider that please, if you don't mind, check out up to date because it does talk about antibodies going down and thyroid problems going into remission. This can happen. And we're going to talk more about that too. Another question I get, and this is sort of an aggregate or example of many questions like this, is my thyroid antibodies are always high on labs, but my TSH and other labs are normal. What does this mean? Again, this could simply mean that you have a little bit of antibody activity going on and it's targeted your thyroid, but it could be transient. It could be old, right? When we get vaccinated or when we get an illness as a kid, we build up antibodies to it. And those antibodies can last our entire lifetime, protecting us against an infection from something. So if you have thyroid antibodies, they're always staying stable. They're always high on labs. Is it worth it to explore some underlying causes? Absolutely. If your antibodies are in the hundreds and above, in my opinion, it's always worth it to explore. Is there something causing chronic reactivity to thyroid? So you want to look at those core root causes, diet, lifestyle, stress, all the things that can activate 
hyperimmunity to our own bodies causing autoimmunity. But if it's staying steady, all your other labs are normal and you're not symptomatic, then it's really just something to keep an eye on. And you want to be extra thoughtful over your lifetime of protecting your thyroid with good health and good habits because those antibodies can be predictive that you may ultimately develop Hashimoto's or a thyroid problem. Another question along these lines is, my endocrinologist says he doesn't want to treat anything and my thyroid labs are elevated and I have symptoms of hypothyroidism and had a miscarriage in April. So first of all, for anyone who's experienced a miscarriage or fertility challenges, I'm so sorry for that, you know, grief and loss that you've had in your life. I know it's, it's so much. And I work with a lot of women in my practice who have experienced prior miscarriage and who are challenged by fertility and some have experienced both. And what's really important is that we have medical providers who are listening to us and believing us and also who are really up on the medical literature. There is absolutely no question that hypothyroidism and also elevated antibodies in the absence of obvious hypothyroidism on labs, so the absence of a TSH being elevated, can be associated with miscarriage. So in this case, it's really important to find a physician or nurse practitioner or midwife who's capable of working with you around doing a deep dive into what's going on to see if you can bring those thyroid antibodies into a healthier range. And if those other labs are showing abnormalities, elevated TSH, hyperthyroidism can also get in the way of fertility and can cause miscarriages, that you bring that thyroid, that TSH level into a healthy range. And a nurse midwife, a very skilled direct entry midwife, licensed midwife, a nurse practitioner, and a, an OB-GYN or family doctor who works with obstetrics can all help you. And that is really, really important to not be dismissed over because, you know, if you've had one miscarriage, it's a very, very, very low likelihood that you will have another. But why wait to find out? Why not, you know, preempt that and save yourself the grief and the suffering, but also optimize your pregnancy health, because if your thyroid function is off, that can affect your pregnancy well-being. So make sure that all of those ducks are in a row by finding the provider who can get you the right testing. Another question I get a lot, and this was one that was sent in very specifically, is are high antibodies a problem long-term? What if all other labs are normal? So interestingly, studies looking at long-term presence of high antibodies in and of itself does not indicate that those antibodies will cause a thyroid problem. It's just that high antibodies can be a harbinger of thyroid problems to come. So they're like the way I talk about the menstrual cycle being a sixth vital sign. Your menstrual cycle gives you signs of things to look out for so that you can address those now and prevent them in the long run. Those high antibodies may just be normal for you. It may be that you had an exposure to a viral infection a long time ago and it settled in your thyroid and your body is, you know, built up a lot of antibodies. The important thing to remember is that if all your other labs are normal, you just want to keep an eye on those other labs, particularly the TSH, to make sure that's staying steady over time. If it's staying steady over time, you're not having thyroid symptoms, those antibodies are high, I wouldn't do anything about those. The one exception, again, would be if you're trying to conceive, you're pregnant or postpartum, 
And then you're a little more risk for those antibodies turning into a thyroid problem or in and of themselves possibly being a problem during those very specific phases of life. Then I would address those with the supplements and the lifestyle factors that have been shown to potentially help bring those antibodies down. Another huge area that I get questions about, and I have a lot of these, is thyroid medications. So in my practice, I don't jump to thyroid medication right away unless someone is really quite symptomatic and their labs are really off the chain or either of those. They're very symptomatic and their labs are elevated, not off the chain. Or if their labs are off the chain and they're not that symptomatic, why might that be? How could somebody's thyroid be totally off the chain when you check their labs? Well, they're used to being depressed. They're used to being exhausted. They're used to having trouble with their metabolism. They're used to having menstrual problems. So they've just chalked all that up to normal and didn't realize that there kind of was a different way of experiencing their body, their health, and their life. So when someone comes into me and their TSH is high and they have hypothyroidism and they're just saying to me, you know, Dr. Aviva, I'm just not a person who sees myself on medication and I really want to try everything else first. Unless they're pregnant. If someone's pregnant, I'm so adamant about thyroid medication in pregnancy that honestly, if someone is pregnant and they won't do thyroid medication, I actually won't take them in my practice because it's so unsafe for baby's growth and development for mama not to be taking that. And I talk about that separately in my pregnancy and thyroid podcast and blog. But I always want to respect where someone's at. And again, it's your body, it's your rules. My experience is that when someone is really struggling with thyroid symptoms and that is matched up by their thyroid labs, their TSH being high, their free T3, free T4, any of those being low, it's very hard to revert that really quickly with just lifestyle practices, just changing your diet. All those things take time. So I work with my patient to decide kind of where on a spectrum of miserable or uncomfortable or it's affecting her life and also how abnormal the labs are. And we kind of put those things into a Venn diagram and say, okay, in this circle, you've got you know, a lot of symptoms and really high labs. I think you're going to feel a lot better if you start medication sooner while we figure this all out, You know, figure out what's going on. If we can adjust some root causes, get supplements and so forth going because those take time. And then you can peel off the medication. And yes, we're going to talk about that. Or somebody may just be like, I'm so tired of feeling miserable. And we confirm hypothyroidism with their labs and we start medication. I've had more patients than I can tell you say things like, I feel like somebody put the spark plugs back in my car. I feel like somebody jump-started my engine. I feel like I've had patients who had thyroid problems and severe brain fog say, I feel like somebody put the windshield wipers on and the fog is gone and I can see again, like think clearly again. So it really depends on you and where you're at what your goals are and what your time frame is. So let's say you're trying to conceive, you've been trying to conceive for like a year and a half, you're just over it. You don't want to wait anymore. Your thyroid labs are, you're showing a little hypothyroidism and you're just, you don't want to wait six months for like all the root cause, figuring it out and trying all the things. We'll start it. If you're unhappy and uncomfortable, we'll start it. The only time I'll really push is say like, you're feeling really, really miserable and this can be really affecting your health. You know, somebody's having slow heart rate. They're not thinking clearly. They're not sleeping. They're just really miserable. 
And what I say to my patients, and I really get it, again, if you're coming to me, you're looking for a more natural approach. And I totally understand. I'm somebody who is not quick to jump on medication or anything for myself either. And full disclosure, I don't have a thyroid problem, so I don't have to make this decision, but I understand the need to make these decisions about a variety of different things for my friends, for my family, for myself, all these you know situations that come up in life where you think, Ugh, I don't want to be a person who's on that medication. And we have so many reasons for that, right? Medical gaslighting, medical mistreatment, medical overprescribing, mistreatment of women and overprescribing of women and the side effects of medications and all these real things. But what I can say to you is that I've also seen women spend a year, two years, years going down the road of trying to do integrative and alternative therapies that haven't really worked for them and spending all that like life that is just sort of not lived optimally because they're just not feeling well. And so when someone's in that situation, I'm like, give yourself a break. Life is hard enough work rather than figuring all this out. And we still want to figure the things out, right? Because we still want to get to the root causes. The medications don't solve the root causes, but they make you feel better. The other thing is sometimes I'll have patients who are just so damn tired that it's like, Dr. Viva, I want to eat better. I want to exercise. I want to do all the things, but I just, I can't barely get off my sofa. In which case, something like starting a pharmaceutical can like just flip that switch on to give you the energy to do all the things. I talk to my patients about it. Like if you went to the doctor or a provider and you got your vitamin D level checked and your vitamin D was really low, like low enough to warrant even medically supplementing it. It's like below 20. You don't really think twice about that, right? You think it is, you think about it as a vitamin and you're like, sure, I can take vitamin D. That's an easy thing. Well, vitamin D is a pro hormone. When you convert vitamin D that you take, vitamin D3 in your body, it turns into something called 25-hydroxyvitamin D. That's actually a hormone. So it's not like you're just taking vitamin C, like a water-soluble vitamin that comes out of oranges, and you know, you take vitamin C and you pee out the extra. So we don't think about it so much with vitamin D. We take it because we're low in it. And that's how I think about thyroid hormone. It's something that your body is supposed to naturally be making. But for whatever reason, and that can be a host of factors, that are not our fault, but that have to do with all of the things we're exposed to in our environment, in the world we live in, in the 20 antibiotics that we may have been given as children growing up, because that's the average number of antibiotics by 18 rounds of antibiotics by the time we're 20 years old is the average in the United States. So all of these things, and now you're kind of paying the piper for it, even though some of these things happened before you even had a choice and who would have known, right? So there are choices with medications. Again, the choice to wait and see, unless you're pregnant, then I wouldn't wait and see. Then you have to really do it for your baby's growth. But for everyone else, you can wait and see, decide how you feel, kind of figure it out on a scale of one to 10, comparing your labs and how you're doing in your life, and then decide. If you do decide to take medication, the most common medications used for supplementation is synthetic thyroxine. That is called levothyroxine. T4 is thyroxine. T3 is triiodothyronine. T4 
is the levothyroxine, which comes under the names levoxyl, synthroid, tyrosine, and unithroid. Those are the four most common medications. Those are T4. Remember, T4 is converted to T3 in the body. So the most standard medication that most doctors will recommend is either levoxyl or synthroid. There's these thyroxine, levoxyl or thyroxine is a form of generic or synthroid is the most common. And then sometimes integrative providers will recommend something called tyrosine. I always put my pregnant patients on synthroid and I talk about that over in the Pregnant Mama blog and podcast. Most providers will be most familiar with the T4 medications. T4 has also standardly been the go-to medication for decades. T3, the medication is called liothyronine, is another thyroid hormone, again, triiodothyronine, that may be prescribed to people who are unable to properly convert T4 into T3. And examples of this are cytomel and triostat. Now, you don't really know if you're not converting T4 into T3 unless you're taking T4, one of these medications I just mentioned previously, and your T3 is still low. T3 for a long time has kind of been the bad boy of thyroid medications. Integrative doctors would prescribe it. The conventional doctors were hypercritical of that. Like, it's too dangerous. It should never be prescribed by itself or it should never be, really be prescribed at all. We should only use the T4s. But in the past five to eight years, what we in the sort of more thyroid-educated camp have been saying has actually turned out to be quite true, which is that more people do actually need T3 than it was previously thought because they're just not converting it well. And so more doctors are now using T4 and T3 combinations. A medication like Liotrix is a combination of T4 and T3 in a four to one ratio. Armor thyroid, which is desiccated thyroid hormone, it's been on the market for decades as a pharmaceutical, that also contains both T4 and T3. Now that is extracted from the thyroid gland of pigs, as is some of these other thyroid medications. So if you want a synthetic, then you want to go to one that is not from desiccated sources. For those of you who are kosher or um, halal and don't want to use anything from pig, there are other options available like the synthetic medications that I've mentioned. So we now know that some people will go on T4, they won't respond to it. Then we add in T3 or we go to a T4, T3 combination. There are also some other medications that are pharmaceuticals that are prescribed, but conventional physicians and practitioners are a little less familiar with them. And these are called NP thyroid, WP thyroid, and nature thyroid. Those are the brand names for them. Those also contain porcine-derived glandular and they contain T4 and T3. Some people like these because they tend to have no fillers and they're also not made with gluten. There's no gluten derivatives in any of the NP thyroid, WP thyroid, and nature thyroid. Honestly, the amount you would get, even if you had celiac in one of these medications is so negligible that I don't personally worry about that. But if it makes you anxious, you can lean into one of these. The problem with these medications is that they're not made by big pharma. So with the last three that I just mentioned, I have seen shortages and also recalls due to standardization issues. So there are medications that I do use in my practice. However, I will say I never prescribe those to pregnant women 
And I try to get pregnant women to transition to one of the more standardized medications because I've had situations where there was a shortage and I have a pregnant person. She comes to me on it already and doesn't want to switch. And now we're scrambling and literally ordering these medications from like multiple pharmacies all over the country to make sure that she has enough to get through her pregnancy. I want to just say that even though some of these medications are derived from animal thyroid glands, that's different than buying supplements that are glandulars. I have literally never, and as far as I can imagine for the foreseeable future of forever, will never recommend glandular extracts for thyroid or for anything else. They're not validated. They're not standardized and they carry too many potential dosing, side effect, and purity risks. Now, thyroid hormones are what I call Goldilocks hormones, meaning the dose has to be just right for us to feel optimal. It can take several different tries of several different doses of several different medications. Where you start your dosing, where you work with your provider to start your dosing depends on a number of things. It depends on whether you are pregnant and need to increase your dose or start at a higher dose. It depends on how severe your symptoms are. So there are a lot of factors that are very nuanced that it's important to work with your provider one-on-one. But there are standard approaches that I also use in my practice for what dose you start at how frequently to increase, and then when to retest labs to make sure that you're getting the right dose. And that can need adjusting up or down over time. One question that I get a lot, a lot, a lot is, does everyone with hypothyroidism need thyroid medication? And are there risks to waiting to start one? This kind of goes back to everything I said earlier, which is it really depends on where your symptom level is at, how much is affecting your life. And I really mean not affecting your life and I'm going to suck it up and brave it through kind of way, you know, my head down to the wind, I can handle this, I've got it. But if you're tired, if you're constipated, if you're struggling with all the symptoms, then, you know, yes, you can wait and try some other therapies first if you're not really incapacitated or even moderately. It's not affecting your life, but you're feeling a little tired. Fatigue can cause you to make errors. It can cause you to not take care of yourself. It can cause you to have accidents. Trying to get pregnant and not having optimized thyroid miscarriage can cause a lot of grief and suffering. And then all the impacts that I've talked about on cognitive function, brain fog, heart health, bone health. So there aren't risks to waiting a short time, especially if your labs aren't that far out of the range, but there can be risks to waiting much longer. And if you already are older, And like I am, I'm 56. So when I say it, you know, if you're in your late 50s and your 60s, et cetera, and your thyroid function isn't normal, you can really run risks with not having your cognitive function optimized, your heart health optimized, your bone health optimized. I say, let's not wait. Let's take care of those things sooner. Another question I get all the time is, can thyroid disease be cured? Hypo and hyperthyroidism can be transient. So you can have them like postpartum thyroiditis. You may have it and it may go away and you may never have it again. That said, about 50% of people who do experience it postpartum will later in life develop a thyroid problem. So having it and then having it be in remission or having it go away completely, you still want to be more aware that you're somebody who does need to, in the long run, think about thyroid health, get periodically tested, even if it's once every year or two, and do the things to maintain healthy thyroid function. 
You can also have hyper and hypo, including Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, go into complete remission. So certain causes like infections or celiac, if the infection goes away and your thyroid function reverts back to normal, you did have mono, you did have COVID, you did have the flu, your thyroid function can go completely back to normal. If you have celiac disease and that's causing Hashimoto's or Graves and you get that managed, it can go into remission. I had one patient who came to me because she had constipation, severe bloating. She was so fatigued that she had to go down to one third time of her work that she'd been doing full time for years. And she could barely take care of her three children. She was exhausted. She went to her doctor who appropriately diagnosed her with Hashimoto's and wanted to put her on thyroid medication. She had read something I wrote and came to see me. And through a series of tests, one of them being celiac genetic testing and celiac antibodies, we uncovered that she had true celiac disease. And we treated the celiac disease by having her go off of gluten, et cetera, et cetera. And within three months, her thyroid labs were 100% normal. She had tiny, tiny, low, you know, like low double digit antibodies that stayed elevated, but she never needed to do thyroid medication. But sometimes it is permanent. And what I would say when it comes to patients asking me, for example, as one woman wrote in, I've been diagnosed with hypothyroid and right now my labs are stable. My nurse practitioner said I'll have to take medication for the rest of my life. I've heard this is true. What do you think? So here's what I would say. In my clinical experience and talking with other medical providers, because I can't find any data on this, we would say that in our experience, those patients who have been on thyroid medication for a couple of years or more, about 80% who truly had Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism and who were appropriately put on medication, about 80% of people will need to stay on medication. Now, often those doses can be lowered as we start to reduce some of the underlying factors that may be contributing for certain people. But some people can go off of their thyroid medication. Many of my patients who are in their 60s and above were put on thyroid medication in the 70s and 80s when it was very trendy to put women who were trying to lose weight onto thyroid medication. And they were told, oh, it's your thyroid. And they've been on thyroid medication ever since when it never was their thyroid. Thyroid medication is not like corticosteroids, which if you go on corticosteroids for a long, long, long time, your adrenals become dependent on it. Thyroid medication is not something for hypothyroidism that your thyroid becomes dependent on. So if you don't need it, you can go off of it. Now, there are nuances to lowering the dose and retesting labs and checking for symptoms. But if you aren't sure whether you need your thyroid medication, maybe now you're reflecting on it and going, gosh, I mean, I never really had thyroid testing and I was just trying to lose some weight or have some energy and someone put me on it. Um, or I'm not sure if my labs were really actually abnormal, talk with your provider and say that you'd like to do a trial of reducing your dose by 25% and then seeing how you feel and rechecking your labs in six or eight or 12 weeks. Please don't do this on your own. Please do this with your provider. And if you come down by 25% and you're like golden and nothing, you feel great, nothing's changed on your labs, you can go down by 50%, right? Again, do this with your provider, rinse and repeat until you see what your lowest dose is that you might possibly need or if you can come off of it. And this is something that I do with my patients 
all the time because we're addressing some of these root causes. Sometimes they need less than they needed previously. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on thyroid medication for the rest of your life. But I would say for 80% of people, probably yes. Again, you can adjust your dose. What about Graves' disease? I've talked a lot about Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. The reason for that is Graves' disease is more complicated to treat. It's not readily treatable with an integrative approach. The symptoms are often a lot more acute, intense, overwhelming, and dramatic. That said, I had one, this was a friend of a friend who reached out and she was struggling with Graves' disease and her doctor was telling her she had to go in for surgery right away. And she didn't mind having the surgery if she needed it, but she really didn't want it. The other option that was given to her was radioiodine therapy. She wasn't really excited about that. So she was going to either do medication or surgery. And the doctor was just saying, just go for the surgery. And the reason for that is that the Graves' disease medications are often quite toxic. So people can stay on them decades. You can stay on them indefinitely if you're responding well to them, but they do tend to require monitoring for liver function tests. They can cause other problems. There's even some cancers associated with them. So they're not ideal. They're not optimal to take during pregnancy. So if someone is trying to conceive or planning to conceive down the road and they have graves, it's often recommended to just do one of the more permanent therapies and not take the medication. If you need the medication during pregnancy, there are medications you can take. In her case, it was really interesting because she had a child who was gluten allergic. He didn't have celiac and he didn't have gluten intolerance. He actually had a gluten allergy. So we talked about it and she decided to manage on medication for a short time and see what happened if she went off of gluten completely. And lo and behold, the graves went into remission. She didn't have it. She didn't need any more medication and she didn't have surgery. One listener said she's been on methimazole for two years and has been able to lower her dose. Methimazole is an autoimmune disease medication that's used for graves also. She's been able to lower her dose, but her endocrinologist said remission is not possible. But the woman who wrote in said she's trying to avoid a thyroidectomy, having her thyroid removed, and she feels like she can't stay on this medication. Um, she's a little bit older and because of the risks to her liver and her bone marrow. So to this, what I want to say is that, as I just shared, Graves' disease can absolutely go into remission. Postpartum hyperthyroidism will almost always go into remission on its own. It's not Graves and it's non-autoimmune and it will either go into remission or it will turn into hypothyroidism, in which case it will either go into remission or need to be treated. Most people who are on thyroid medication for Graves for more than 18 months, if it hasn't gone into remission within 18 months, typically it's permanent. So keep that in mind. For a last question on thyroid medication, before we switch to some integrative approaches, I'm taking Synthroid, but my hair is still thinning and dry. Any advice? More generally, if you're on thyroid medication for hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's and you're still having symptoms, one of three things is going on. Either you were overdiagnosed and didn't have a thyroid condition and something else was going on that was causing the symptoms you're having. You were appropriately diagnosed, but your medication is either not working for you, like you're taking T4, but what you really need is T4 and T3. So you need to change medication to get that combo or add T3 in. Or you're getting medication and you're not getting enough of a dose. 
So it's a medication problem, either the type or the dose. Or you can have actually more than one thing going on. So you may be appropriately being treated for your hypothyroid and the Synthroid is doing the trick and your labs are great and everything looks great. But maybe you have iron deficiency anemia or something else. You know, it's winter and you live in the northern climate and you're running your heat and you're running a a wood stove all the time. So sometimes we forget to look at these common things being common. So again, it can be you don't have a thyroid problem, you're being mistreated, you need to get the right diagnosis. Two, you either have the wrong medication for you and you need maybe a combo T4, T3, or you need a different medication or different dose, or it's something else concurrently happening and you want to address that. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about integrative thyroid health. Is there anything we can do to protect our thyroid health? And yes, there is. Again, there are so many factors that are happening in our environment that we have zero control over. But there are things that we can do to support our thyroid health. And I really encourage us to think about this as women. I even have a podcast and blog called Why Hypothyroidism is a Feminist Issue. Again, one in eight of us is going to experience this. It can have a major impact on our health, our well-being. And think about all the things that fatigue and depression alone can keep us from doing and taking a chance on and experiencing and trying and succeeding at. This is really important to take into consideration that you deserve to live your best life. And one of the ways that we can do that as women is to support and protect our thyroid health starting now, no matter what your thyroid status is. And even if you've had your thyroid removed, some of these things that I'm talking about obviously aren't going to repair and support your thyroid, but we need them for our overall well-being. So the first thing, and probably the lowest hanging fruit, is that our thyroid needs very specific nutrients for health. You might have noticed that T3 is called triiodothyronine. That iodo is iodine. Our thyroid needs iodine to make T4 and from T4, T3. We also need vitamin D, zinc, selenium, tyrosine. And these ideally will all come from our foods. However, most of us are skimping on meals, not getting enough variety in our diet. And so in my worldview, I do believe that taking a daily good quality, even if it's a one a day type of multivitamin, can make a difference in making sure that you're getting all these trace nutrients that you need, especially the iodine, the selenium, and the zinc. And most multivitamins don't have enough vitamin D in them to supplement. So they usually have like a few hundred international units. Really, we need about 2,000 IUs of vitamin D, and most of us are not getting enough from sunlight. So bottom line, one thing you want to do as an insurance policy for thyroid health is just start taking a good quality multivitamin and taking 2,000 units of vitamin D, which is pretty much safe for everyone across the board. It's also important to minimize or eliminate processed foods and artificial sweeteners. Processed foods, first of all, tend to be more loaded with herbicides and pesticides. They are denatured, so they're actually stealing nutrients from your body. And artificial sweeteners have actually been shown, even within one week of using them, to affect thyroid function. And then all the things that can affect our thyroid health. It's important to get adequate sleep. That means seven to nine hours of sleep a night, reducing stress, both through the direct impact on your immune system and also adrenal function. 
Another important factor is addressing gut health, because as I mentioned, leaky gut can be a factor and also disruptions in the microbiome. And then it's important to also be careful with certain environmental exposures, fluoride and bromide. You might be thinking, where the heck would I get bromide? Well, it's actually used as a dough softener. So back to processed foods, a lot of purchased pastries, unless you're getting from a really good quality baker that you know prides themselves on healthful organic type of ingredients, pasta doughs, things like that have bromide. Fluoride and bromide are chemical matches in the periodic table for iodine. So they can actually displace the iodine in your thyroid. And I go in deep dive into these in both Adrenal Thyroid Revolution and Hormone Intelligence is dedicated to supporting you in one of these factors. Now, one question I got is I've been hypothyroid for 15 years and do well on levothyroxine and supplements. Do I need to go gluten-free? Is it worth it? Should I do gluten or celiac testing? Well, for the most part, gluten testing doesn't really have much validity to it. You can do celiac testing. That involves either getting tested for celiac antibodies and celiac genes, which your primary care provider can do, or if you do have positive genes or antibodies or have symptoms that are consistent with celiac, getting an upper endoscopy. So celiac can actually contribute to Hashimoto's. So anyone in my practice who has Hashimoto's, I do actually run a test for the celiac antibodies and for the celiac genes. Those I talk about in my books. There's also something called non-celiac gluten intolerance. And those are people who, when they eat gluten, they don't feel good. They get bloated, they get tired, they get joint aches and pains. I typically recommend if you're in that camp, going ahead and trying six to 12 weeks off of gluten food, go gluten-free. Nobody depends on gluten for health and life. So anyone can go gluten-free. Just make sure you do it in a healthful way. But not everyone who has Hashimoto's or Graves or any thyroid problems needs to go off of gluten. It's really if you have celiac or if you have non-celiac gluten intolerance and you just don't do well with it. In those cases, then I do recommend it. And it's always worth it to try it for six to 12 weeks if you're not sure and see if you feel better. And then if you feel better, then you can sort out, okay, if you have celiac, always stay off of it. If you have non-celiac gluten intolerance, possibly working with an integrated nutritionist or primary care provider who can help you figure out, is there something going on with your gut or immune system that's making you not tolerate gluten as well? And maybe you can ultimately reintroduce it. What about supplements if you do have a thyroid problem? I'm going to only focus on supplements that I use for hypothyroidism because, as I mentioned, Graves is much more difficult to treat and it does need medication or surgical or other treatment. That said, some people with mild graves, they don't need medication. You can use two botanicals. One is called motherwort and one is called lemon balm. And that can help with the heart palpitations and it can help with the anxiety. However, be careful because it can mask your symptoms. If your two primary symptoms that you know when your graves is flaring or activated are palpitations and anxiety, masking those could be masking the graves so you still need to get your labs checked. I don't recommend using any of these other supplements if you have Graves and just really working with a primary care provider. So one question that came in is, why is iodine so controversial for thyroid health and do I recommend it? 
So iodine is critical for thyroid health. As I mentioned, you can't make thyroid hormone without iodine. You have to have iodine. The problem is getting too much iodine can actually send your thyroid into a crisis. Whether you have hypothyroidism, definitely don't want to supplement iodine if you have Graves' disease. But you need to be getting enough through your diet. And what's in a multivitamin? What's in a multivitamin is a very basic amount that won't throw you into overdrive, even if you have Hashimoto's. For most people, it's the amount they need to keep their thyroid healthy and supported. If you have Graves, then you may need to take a multivitamin that doesn't have iodine in it and just get your iodine through your diet. And that's what you talk with your endocrinologist about. But for the rest of us, normal thyroid function, you take a multivitamin that has iodine, you get iodine from good healthy sources in your diet. I love including sea vegetables in my diet, nori, wakame, alaria, kombu. These are great for your optimal overall health and providing trace minerals. What I don't recommend literally ever is adding in extra iodine unless labs demonstrate that you are iodine deficient. And in that case, working with an experienced, knowledgeable medical care provider who can at appropriately help you to supplement iodine within a safe level. I never recommend taking Lugol's iodine. I never recommend taking kelp or dulse capsules to supplement iodine because you can't quantify how much is in it. So getting those in your diet, sure, great. They're great for health. And otherwise, don't supplement your iodine other than what's in a multivitamin because it can actually exacerbate the symptoms and the situation. Another question I got asked is, is Google, G-U-G-G-U-L, not the web platform, is Google, the herb, safe in Hashimoto's since it enhances iodine uptake? And the answer to that is yes. That's what you want it to do. So Google is one of the herbs that can be used to support T3 and T4 levels if you have low thyroid function. It should never be used if you have Graves or hyperthyroidism. That said, Google is one of my last go-tos. The evidence on it is fairly scant. The evidence in general actually on supplements for hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's is relatively scant. The two things that have been found to be really, really helpful for Hashimoto's, particularly or anyone who has elevated thyroid antibodies, are my two go-tos. Those are selenium and inositol. Selenium, the typical dose, is 200 milligrams a day. That can also safely be taken in pregnancy, but check with your midwife or your medical care provider and the inositols. And I use a combination of inositols, but typically it's myo-inositol that you're going for. And a typical dose of that is about 600 milligrams a day. Those have been shown to reduce antibodies if you start them when you're trying to conceive, stay on them during pregnancy, and continue those postpartum. And anyone else who has elevated antibodies with hypothyroidism, selenium, and the inositols are my go-tos. I also classically go to vitamin D because there have been studies that show that low vitamin D is associated with an increased risk of hypothyroidism and also people with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's taking vitamin D has been shown to improve their labs and their levels. Over at my website and stay tuned for an upcoming podcast on this, but you'll find the article, Six Essential Supplements for Thyroid and Hashimoto's. 
And in that article, I talk more in detail about vitamin D3, selenium, inositol. I also talk about ashwagandha, zinc, and Google. And I talk about the doses, what they're used for, and how to select and use those if you want to. So, my dears, this has been an epic, epic podcast series on thyroid. And I hope you feel much more thyroid literate and all the wiser. If you love this and you want your question answered, you can actually leave me a voicemail. Yes, that's right. If you leave a voicemail for me, your voice and your question may end up on an upcoming episode of On Health and I will answer it. So how do you do this? When you have a question, you want to simply call into this number, which is a Google voicemail line set up for this purpose. The number is 413-889-4549. When you call in to leave a message, make sure that you're in a quiet place and speak really clearly in a way that you'd want the recording to play on the podcast. Please note, I can't and won't answer personal, specific medical questions or give advice, but I can give a whole lot of information on the topic that you call in about all things women's health and pediatrics too. So if you have a question about anything related to women's health, hormones, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, menopause, lifestyle, mental health, or children's health, because I do pediatrics too, you can ask me that too. Again, the number is 413-889-4549. Can't wait to hear your voice at the other end. Can't wait to bring you on the podcast and can't wait to have more episodes, probably once a month or so with your questions answered. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.